Welcome back to the Dying Task Podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and this is part two of our Summer Beach Reads episode. Today, we're focusing on kids. And specifically, we are doing kids from preschool up to young adult. Now, young adult, you might know, hopefully you know, doesn't mean kid necessarily. It's typically teenager-ish, but really can be enjoyed by anyone. And the nice thing about YA books, if you're not a huge reader yourself, sometimes they're a great book to get into because they tend to be books that you can read a little bit quicker. So it helps with your fluency, which makes the reading part of it really enjoyable. So just keep it in mind. If you hear Tina talking about some young adult titles, you're like, wow, I would read that. You should. There's no reason why you can't. So today we're going to talk about a couple of things with Tina Ferguson, owner of Face in a Book and frequent guest on the Dying to Ask podcast anytime we talk about anything literary. We're going to start by talking about reluctant readers. So if you've got kids who don't just naturally love digging into a book, would rather do anything else, Tina has some great hacks for how to get a kid just in love with reading. And the thing about reading is that it's kind of the key to so many different things in school. So we know that over the summer, there is a natural brain drain that happens with a lot of kids when they're on summer break and they're away from school. And we also know that when reading doesn't come easily to a kid, it makes learning all subjects a little bit more challenging. So we'll talk about why it's so important to get kids into a book over the summertime with Tina and she'll share some of the things that she has observed over the years tend to work with different types of kids. Graphic novels have been huge for kids over the last couple of years. They continue to be a really critical um, part of the the childhood experience of, of getting kids into books. And we'll talk about how they're also becoming a lot more neurodiverse and how that is benefiting so many kids. We'll talk about some of the trends in publishing when it comes to kids' books in terms of making books more inclusive and finding books and authors who kids can relate to in different kinds of ways. We are going to get lots of great recommendations on books that are coming out. And then at the very end, Tina and I, this was kind of, I wasn't planning on doing this, and then I did. Um, we talked a little bit about this movement of banning books and what her thoughts are. And she's actually run into a little bit of this in her own community with some parents who didn't like that she suggested certain books to kids. So we talk about how to have those conversations with your families, why books are just so valuable in a community, all books, how they can be a launch pad to learning. And we'll also share some places where if you do have concerns about what your kids are reading, where you can get, um, I'll, I'll share a site that I use in my family to gauge any kind of media content, whether it's a book or a movie. I have this one website I've been going to for years and it helps at least prepare me for what my kid's going to be exposed to. So that if I do have a problem with something or a challenge or concern, I know exactly what's in there and I can even get an idea of how to handle it with them. Um, and this is just, again, my personal experience, but I found it really valuable in these conversations with my kids. So huge thanks to Tina Ferguson coming back on the podcast and doing part two of our Summer Beach Reads, the kids version today on Dying to Ask. Have you ever wondered how did they do that? I do all the time. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick and Dying to Ask is the podcast that gets me off a TV news set and into candid conversations with authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and influencers I have been dying to talk to. 
soak up the motivation that comes from learning how other people live their lives, how they take an idea or a goal, they follow through, and they pull it off. And maybe along the way, I'll get some answers to questions you've been dying to ask. Tina, how are you? I am well, thank you. I'm surrounded by books, so I'm in my happy place. It's all good. Well, and the fact that you get to call that work is, you know, kind of sweet. I know. I'm very, very spoiled and I'm very, very happy. <laughs> well, I'm pretty spoiled too, because we've been doing this annual show now for, oh. I think, at least three years, or we've kind of gone oh, through God. some of your best picks for summer reading. And thank you for being willing to do this again. It's one of my favorite things Absolutely. we do every year. It's so much fun. It's like, how do I take the 8,000 titles we have in the bookstore and call it down to 10 that we're going to talk about today? Is that really what you have? Yeah. Is that a real, that's a real number? Yeah. Real number for all of our sections. Yeah. Mm -hmm, about 8,000 wow. books. How many copies of each book do you typically have? I typically have one copy of each book. Sometimes I have more, especially if it's like a new release from an author or something like that. But um, I'd rather be really broad in our selection. So there's a little something for everyone than to just focus in on maybe just bestsellers and stack them up high. I like having the diversity of books in the, in the store. Interesting. And so how do you decide what you're going to stock? And then, and then are like, is there, are there books that have been there for all the years you've had the store? There are. Um, it's, it's interesting. We go through the entire store once a year and we look at every single book on the shelf and, and look at what's been selling, what's not been selling, what's gathering dust. And every now and again, there'll be a book that comes into my returns bin that I'm like, nope, it's a favorite. It has to stay no matter what. I don't care if it hasn't sold for seven years. This is a favorite. It's staying on the shelf. And so there's some books like that that just remain whether people buy them or not because we love them. But, yeah. we're, we're, but we're constantly looking at what's um, what's trending, what people are reading. A lot of um, the, you know, the online or social media book clubs like Reese and Oprah and Good Morning America and things. So we're making sure that we have those books in as well. But we also want to have those books that people may not necessarily know about, those independent publishers, those small publishing houses that maybe people haven't heard of. We want to make sure that we represent those books as well, because there's some real gems in there. Do you stock many self-published books? Because you definitely see that a lot online these days that a lot of people Hello? have, you know, whoops, can you hear me? I know I can. I'm sorry. Okay. What did you say? Um, do you stock many self-published books? Is that still a thing? It is. In stores or is that not a thing? It is a huge thing. It is remarkable the number of, of people who have just gone and um, written things, authored them, and then published them themselves. Uh, we have one author here that's been a huge um, cheerleader and uh, just a real, like, he's just always rooting for the bookstore. His name is Jim Latoile. And when we first opened, he had a self-published book that we carried and he ended up getting his book published by a traditional publisher. And now he's on like his fourth book with traditional publishing. So it can really turn into something um, much different than what you've planned. So we do carry self-published books by local authors. Um, we have a little section in our store for them and we make sure that people know that those books are here. What is the number one book you've ever sold? Like in terms of the number of copies, like what's the most popular thing that's ever gone out of your place? I mean, probably a children's book. It probably something like Dog Man or something along those lines because the kids just eat that graphic uh, series up. So we, you know, have sold like 65 in a month before of, of those books. So I would say a yeah. lot of the children's books are what we sell most of. 
It's like 20 questions. Sorry. You're like, okay, like oh, it's okay. They're, all, they're coming at me rapid fire. Love it. Bring <laughs> so it heading, in, heading into the summer of 2023, what are the big trends that you're seeing industry-wide? What what's coming out the most? I would say that um, you know, romance is still really hot. Um, no pun intended. So to speak. <laughs> Um, but again, you know, I'm, I'm finding that I, like, I used to read a lot of romance when I was, you know, in, in like in college. And now that I'm returning to it, it's very different than it was before. There's a lot more nuance and a lot more, um, things that we didn't have back then, like social media and how that plays into, um, romance and relationships. Cause it certainly, certainly does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been a, a trend. I think, I think, um, feel good books are, something that people are wanting more and more of as you know we just don't know really from day to day like what's happening in the world and there's always something that's bad news and so that's something that um I see is happening and also some real like I don't know if sci-fi is the right word maybe speculative fiction but things like Mm -hmm. time um time travel and alternate realities are coming into both fiction and sci-fi and so that's been a real interesting trope that I have been enjoying lately. I was traveling over spring break. I went to uh, Costa Rica and I love, you know, I love airport people watching. And it's interesting to me to look at different ages of people in an airport and what they're walking onto the plane with. And, you know, are they walking on with just an iPad or a phone or do they have a book in their hand? And I'm curious to see what you see generationally happening, happening with reading. Like are your Gen Zers millennials? Are they readers? Like maybe... They are. I would say that I see um, a lot of older people, I would say like, you know, the retirement kind of age group, a lot of them have Kindles um, and books. So that's, that's been interesting to see. I think that the Kindle is nice because you can increase that font without having to put on those readers. So that's always Mm -hmm. a nice thing. Um, But it's always great to see them reading on, you know, either way. Um, A lot of the young people, I don't see them with books necessarily on the plane. I see them with their earbuds in, probably listening to music, maybe Mm -hmm. watching a movie. Maybe they're listening to a book. I don't know. Well, it Um, could be. Well, it's funny. The reason I ask is I noticed in other countries' airports, I saw more younger people walking on with with a book in hand. And that's, that could just be, you know, coincidental with where I happen to be. But I just found that kind of fascinating. And just like looking around the pool or, you know, whatever, I saw it a lot younger people in other places with their traditional. You know, I'm with you. I'm such a, like, I don't know. I think that people might get nervous when I'm, you know, walking and looking around because I'm constantly looking at what people are reading right. when I'm on vacation. <laughs> I was recently in Cabo sitting by the pool and I, I just couldn't help but I was just like looking at what everyone's reading and I'm just like, why are they reading that? Oh, I'm so curious. And sometimes I get brave enough to ask, but most of the time I just, you know, kind of look from afar and make them nervous. Yeah. Well, I am not a bookseller and I do the same thing. So I'm just, you know, the creepy lady <laughs> who wants to know what you're reading, see if I should be reading it as well. But we can be cute and creepy and it's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you have pulled some of your favorite titles of new books that are out this summer. And so we're going to do, we're breaking this into two different shows. So we'll have the adult show today for adult eyes. It's not really that kind of show. Um, and then we'll have, we'll have the kids show in, in part two, which will feature um, a variety of ages for kids up through young adult. But today we're talking about just you know the grown-up books. And there's a book called When Women Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill that you really like a lot. I 
you. So Kelly Barnhill, she, um, this is her first adult novel. She's written a lot of middle grade books that have been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I love this book. Um, it's so different. It's about um, 1950s America and, you know, what women were doing. They were in the home taking care of their kids and vacuuming and making meatloaf and things like that. And imagine, if you will, a little house, 1950s America, and the mom suddenly transforms into a dragon. So in 1950s um, America, thousand, in this book, thousands of women have spontaneously transformed into dragons. And some people do and some women don't. And so those who don't turn into dragons are wondering why they didn't and those that are wondering why they were. And it's about just what does that look like when it's completely changed who you are and what you are. It's very feminist in its writing. And I think that that's just a really unique way of looking at that. Um, Lessons in Chemistry author Bonnie Garmus says that she thinks this book is completely fierce, unmistakably feminist, and subversively funny. So you've got a little bit of everything. So it just seems like such a crazy, a crazy idea, but it really does work. And I just think this is a really fun and different thing for the summer. Yeah. I love the idea that an author is able to switch those like age groups too, those genres oh. going from middle school to adults. That's very cool. Um, so Jay Ryan Stradall um, has a book oh. called Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club. What is that one about? Okay, I have loved everything that this author has written and it all, all of the books take place in the Midwest. Um, and what I love about this writer is he does such a great job of creating these incredible characters that become your friends as you're reading the book. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh, I have to say goodbye. Um, it's just <laughs> so well done. And, it, you know, if you think about like the, the dinner clubs of like um, Dirty Dancing, where there's entertainment while they're eating dinner, that's what a supper club is. And Muriel inherits her grandmother's supper club and doesn't quite know what to do with it because it's kind of derelict. And her husband, Ned, has this huge family chain of restaurants that's a fortune. And so they're on like opposite ends of the scale. And then a tragedy happens to their family. And what do they do in the wake of that with these two diverse like eating establishments and then trying to figure out who they are in this relationship? Oh, it's just a great, great read. Really satisfying when you get to the end. You close going and you say, ah, oh, that was an awesome story. I love that. And I'm actually just scrolling on his website right now. And you're right. All of his books have that kind of similar feeling, oh, but a little bit of a different twist. Love absolutely loved it. The one that came out a little while ago was the, the, the queen of the, the logger queen of Minnesota. Such a great book. If you, if you like this one, and you want to go back to read his previous. Um, it's about these two little 80 year old ladies that um, become um, brewmasters and they make beer. <laughs> And oh. it's awesome. That sounds awesome. great. Um, your next pick is showing up. I, I've noticed on a lot of lists this summer. And it's a book called Yellow Face. It is. And I, I threw this in there because, again, it's like I want people to explore and expand what they what might not traditionally read. This is a very satirical book. So June, um, so this is by R.F. Kwong. The, um, the protagonists in this book are authors June Hayward and Athena Liu, um, both um, uh, rising stars in the literary world. Athena is a literary darling and June Hayward is literally nobody. So um, when June and Athena are together and Athena dies in a freak accident, June witnesses it she acts on impulse and she steals the manuscript that Athena had just finished. Ooh. And she, 
uses that as her own and all of a sudden becomes this huge success. Um, but then as she starts to get popular, this whole thing about, was that really your book? Did you write it? What happened? That starts to come into play. And it's, um, it's just amazing. So Constance Wu, who was the star of Crazy Rich Asians, says that reading this book felt like being inside a wild, brutal, psychological knife fight with a deranged clown. Oh, that's awesome. She says, it's a merciless satire that left me screaming inside from both its horror and its humor. Ah, oh, that's right? really brilliant. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a, it's not a very long read. You could certainly yeah. get that um, in a weekend. And I just think it's so different and so unique. Um, I'm really looking forward to buckling down with it. And getting I think Constance it. needs to be in the movie version of that. I know. We, 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 we said it first. Yeah, we called it. We called it. Oh. The next one is a book that's been on my nightstand that I'm planning oh. on bringing on vacation this summer, and it's called The Midnight Library. Oh, this is such a great, great book. It's new in paperback, just came out in paperback in May. Um, I think this is a book that every adult needs to read at least once a year. It's a book that just feels good and lifts your spirits, and it's all about possibility. So in The Midnight Library, imagine, if you will, a grocery store. Um, the main character, Nora Seed, finds herself um, in this place, the Midnight Library, with the possibility of changing her life for a new one. And she could keep swapping. And she could find a different career. She could undo old breakups. She can realize things that she never thought she could do. But she really has to search within herself for what is it that she really wants and what she really needs to have a truly fulfilling life. And um, it just would surprise you some of the things that she comes up with and some of those roads that she travels down. It's one of those things that I think every one of us thinks about, right? Like what if, what could be? Um, and this book kind of explores that and takes you on a really cool ride um, and makes you think a lot of things along the way. Memoirs are fantastic, I think, over oh, summer. It's always great to put yourself into oh, someone else's shoes. And Maggie Smith has a new one out called You Could Make This Place Beautiful. I listened to an interview with her recently on uh, the On With Kara Swisher podcast. And as it started and they were talking about, you know, her poetry, I'm like, eh, I don't know if this is my thing. Nope, I got sucked in because her her memoir is not at all what you think it's going to be about. And, you know, it just reads so beautifully and so quickly you want to just swallow up all of her words as fast as you can because they're just so beautiful um this is a book that she wrote a memoir after the, the um the aftermath of a marriage that fell apart and she'd and been married for a long time if i recall hadn't she had. and it's about what what do our lives look like then now and then like wh where do i go in the future um, so it's a story about a mother's love for her children, a woman's love and regard for not only her partner, but really truly for herself. And it's a, above all, I think more of a memoir of just absolute possibility. Like what could be, what could my life look like? Um, she has such a beautiful language and it's about discovering your power to make something new. And like it says, to make something beautiful. Um, so it's just really, really a lovely read, um, and then, I mean, it's it's for everyone, but especially if you're going through something difficult, turn to Maggie because she'll help you through it. Emily Henry has become like oh. kind of a staple of summer, it feels like oh, over yeah. the last few years. She is hands down, has she's become the beach read master, hands down. I mean, look at this cover. I mean, you got people jumping into the pool or to the lake, right? And it's um, this, for, for people who maybe are just listening, not seeing this, it's this gorgeous hot pink. I mean, it screams summer. 
Yeah, it's called Summer it's of called, 1984. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Happy Place. And um, I love it. It's, a, it's about a couple who broke up months ago and they pretend to still be together for this annual week-long vacation with their best friends. They don't want to rock the boat, so they pretend to be together. Um, and Harriet and Wynne, this couple, they're not the only ones who seem to be holding on to a secret. Uh, the group gathers and everyone can sense that the energy is not quite right, but it's not just them. It's things that are happening in other people as well. Um, it's more than a rom-com. It's about family as well, like the family that we choose, the family that we end up just being in, whether it's through work or through other things. Um, and it's about just dealing with life and how you think that you might be the only one going through something. But, you know, around you, there's 50 people going through 50 different things and we can all be there for one another. So I think that that's what this Dude. is. Let me, let me push back on just the idea of it though, for just a second, because that, that formula has been done a million times. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think Jul Julia Roberts has done like five movies based on that. And I've loved every single one of them. Right. Why, right. why does it work for Emily Henry in your opinion? I think it works because she's able to kind of just hone in on what the reader wants to see and wants to hear. I think she has a really um, uncanny ability of creating these um, people in this world that just re really work well together, whether they're going through something easy or going through something hard. Um, I don't know if that's just people that she knows in her real life or what, but she just does a really good job of creating these characters that are super believable and super relatable. She's great on Instagram too. Do you follow her? I do not. I, because when I get on Instagram and I follow people, I look up and it's like, you know, one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, just, I, just want to, I have no, well, you're not, you're not wrong on that. Uh, <laughs> but if you're look, I, I get a lot of just good book recommendations, you know, if I'm not on the horn with you, you know, through Instagram and it, oh, and she's absolutely. one of the authors that's super enjoyable to follow. Um, oh. there's another one you like called the covenant of water. Okay. I haven't heard about that. This is huge. Now, this is a long-awaited novel from the New York Times bestselling author from Cutting for Stone, Abraham Verghese. I mean, they, people have been waiting years for his book. I mean, I've been open 11 and a half years and his book was in print before I opened. So people have been waiting a long time. This is something that probably, as you can see, take you the whole summer, but it is a stunning epic of love and faith and medicine. Um, this takes place in Kerala, Southern India. Um, it's called The Land Shaped by Water. And the novel follows three generations of this family that are bound by a uniquely disquieting truth. In every generation of this family, at least one person has died from drowning and they don't Ooh. know why. And so because Abraham Verghese just a beautiful job of just beautiful and expansive writing, it's not just a story of life and death. It's um, a story of how the cultural and social and racial politics of that place play into the lives of the people of Kerala. Uh, he just has a way of immersing you in this world that you know nothing about. And so I haven't yet... Um, read it because I, I have other long-term relationships in my life. Um, and this book would be just, I hope it is a very large book. It's like what, two inches thick? Well, well it'll take your whole summer, but um, from everyone that's, that I've met who's actually read it, they say it's absolutely stunning. I had the opportunity to meet him at a conference and he is just the most down to earth gentleman. Um, and he's, I don't know. He's just very, very sweet. And I just can't wait to see, you know, what all the, the buzz is about. So okay, if you quick, quick yeah. sidebar, you go to a lot of like these like book conferences and convention kind of things. 
who have you met author wise in the last few years who you were like rock star love this person oh my gosh well um michael conley i got to have dinner with him um he writes you know the harry bosch series and the humble brick and oh my gosh I, I was just like uh, I don't even know what to say <laughs> I had read all of his books and I'd seen the show and he again they're just real people they just talk about like their kids and their family and their parking tickets and you know it's just it's so great to see these you know um literary heroes in your mind just be regular Joes like you and have a great conversation and it just makes it even I think more delightful to read that book, knowing that this is someone just like me that has, you know, situations in a life just like me. And they're able to communicate that in a way that is so wonderful. It's interesting how much a part of the process for these authors that, um, that kind of interaction or engagement with their customers has become. And we hear that we have a lot of authors on this show and they all talk about the fact that having that, you know, a social media following and an ability to communicate with an audience is is as big, if not bigger for some of them than the actual writing process. Absolutely. But I think that it's actually very difficult for many authors because authors, I think many of them are very introverted. You know, that, that's why they're authors. They like to be in their little den writing and, you know, coming up with these wonderful stories. And not all of them want to be on display on social media or on, you know, or on TV shows. So, so I, th- I think that there's a balance of being able to, you know, be the, that author, but not be that star. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Can you even, can you even like be an anonymous writer anymore? Like have a gnome de plume? Can you have that? Or do you really need to have people tracking you? I don't know. I think that if you're maybe this debut author, um, of course, you know, all the publish the publishers do a lot of pre-buzz. And so like when I'm looking at books to order for six months from now, I'll see like with a particular book that, oh, they already have, you know, they're already going to be slated for NPR and they're going to be on Good Morning America and they're going Dying to, to ask, you know, dying to ask of yeah. course, number one on the list. Yeah, um, they can't wait. So they're already prepping these authors with a lot of pre-buzz, which just carries over once that book comes out. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. I, I, I took a little detour there off of that. Um, David Grant is your next author to watch the book called The Wager. So this, um, my husband just read this, really loved mm-hmm. it. And I picked David Graham because his uh, book, Killers of the Flower Moon, is going to be a new film coming out soon with Leonardo DiCaprio. And so he's kind of, this author's kind of been on the rise because of that. Um, but this is fantastic. So it's January 1742, 30 men that are starving, barely alive. They wash up on the coast of Brazil. They, they sailed for more than 100 days, traveling over 3,000 miles of storm-wrapped seas. So these survivors, they say that they're survivors of Her Majesty's The Wager on the 1740 secret mission during the war with Spain. That's amazing. But then six months later, three other castaways arrive off the coast of Chile. And they say that they are also survivors of The Wager, but they tell a different story. They say that the 30 men in Brazil were actually mutineers. So shipwreck, survival, savagery, like what's really the story? And that's what you will find as you read this riveting book. Ooh, that's good. So this is really good for the history buffs, you know, the men in your life that don't want to read a love story. Uh, they can read all about um, pirates and mutineers. Mutineers and, mutineers and- yeah, yeah. I love it. Actually, it sounds super exciting. I love that. Okay. 
Um, Finley Donovan. Oh, I, I love the series. Yes. So, um, you know, when we first started doing these, I was really loving uh, Lisa Lutz and her Spellman mm -hmm. file series. Uh, this kind of reminds me of it. So this is the Finley Donovan series uh, by Ellie Cosimano. And uh, this is the first one in that series. Finley Donovan is killing it. Um, this author is Edgar Award uh, nominated, and these books are very witty, super fast paced, and they follow this struggling suspense novelist, um, Finley, who's a single mom, and she's turned amateur sleuth with her live-in nanny, Vero, and they just bumble into these situations that no one should bumble into, and then they have to figure out how to get out of it. Um, it's super fun, really engrossing. It's it's, a, it's addicting. Like I read the first one and then instantly read the next two in quick succession. Um, I love it because it's fun. There's a little bit of romance, a lot of humor. Um, and, you know, she's a mother of two. So you've got these mom things and she's like, you know, cleaning up a spill of milk and then cleaning up blood, you know, from something else over here. So it's super fun. Uh, there's three books in this series. The fourth one's coming out next year. And again, it's just one of those things that you sit in your lounge chair and just pour through and enjoy it. It's a fun cover too. I picked that up. Oh yeah. It's so fun. I, that looks I, like a I good really, afternoon. I like Finley. She's hysterical. And then the last one that is on your list of recommendations for the grownups is by Hernan Diaz, and it's called Trust. So this is one of those books that have that kind of speculative fiction kind of uh, thing around it. So this is Trust by Hernan Diaz. It did win the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. It's set in the Roaring Twenties. Uh, so kind of like Great Gatsby, um, but it's really a, like a quartet. So there's four interconnected stories within this book, and it's all about wealth and power and greed and what happens to people when they get involved with all of that. There's four different narrators in the book, and it uses the trope that I really love, which is the unreliable narrator. So as you're reading it and they're telling their tale, you're like, are you really telling the truth? I don't know if I can trust you. And I love that kind of tension when I'm reading. Um, and it's been said that this is an elegant prose of a book and a hell of a book to read. So I think that, um, it's, I think it's like Great Gatsby-esque, but with, um, with more like digging deeper into it than you might've had with the Great Gatsby, if you know what I mean. I have two teenage boys now, and that's a line that I use. I will tell them you're an unreliable narrator. Right <laughs> like you're an unreliable narrator. Yeah. I, I, I'm you're like, I'll get the dishes, mom. I'll unload the dishwasher. Unreliable narrator. Yeah. I got the trash. Unreliable narrator. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It, they, it, this will, this too will pass. I promise. For um, adults who are maybe trying to kind of up their reading, especially over the summer, you know, people hopefully have a little bit of time to sit back and relax, whether you're going on a big trip or you're doing a little staycation. What are, what are your, your tips for adults to just fit a little bit more reading into their lives? Because to me, there's no better way to just kind of calm your brain down and, and lower your stress level than by digging into a good book. Absolutely. I would say, you know, if you're looking to up your reading game, pick up a classic. There's so many classics that I have reread as an adult that have absolutely rocked my world that I could hardly get through in high school. Love. All Quiet on the Western Front, beautiful writing about a very ugly time, um, just mm -hmm. blew me away. Siddhartha um, by Herman Hesse, uh, just a beautiful book talking about like life and 
and the things that we deem important and who we want to be. Um, Fahrenheit 451 is kind of like apropos with all the book banning and, you know, cancel culture. That's a great read. Um, that's a classic. And classics are a great way to up your game and to, um, I don't know, be a better conversationalist at yeah. parties. <laughs> you know what I so love that I pick up every couple of years is Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Love that. Very. I know. Every once in a while, I'll pick that up. And You're so dark, Deidre. I don't know about that. You don't oh, seem yeah. that. No. Nah, well, I mean, sometimes yeah, we, all, like we all white. have our moments. We do. Yes. I love it. <laughs> also, right, I think another thing is to pick up a kid's book um, that you haven't read for a while. Like uh, right now, my nightstand is the Phantom Toll booth. Um, read it as a kid and can't wait to just dive back into it as an adult. Um, there's a lot of classic children's books like Little Women and Heidi and, uh, you know, The Wind in the Willows, just, you know, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. What I love about adults reading children's books is that it makes you feel like you're a kid again. It brings back that wonder and that, um, I don't know, just that specialness of reading this really great book about a great character um I think the adults should should also look back into kids yeah. books I think it's kind of fun if especially if you do have kids who are say middle school high school to read if they have a sign reading for school sometimes to pick up their book and read through it because usually it's pretty fast read for an adult um it's kind of interesting to see like what they're delving into because we all kind of remember the books that we you know had to read during those times you know like for me it was the outsiders in middle school which is still oh, a yeah. book that they read you know and it's interesting like you said to look at it with adult eyes and to understand what Pony yeah. Boy was really going through <laughs> just different Absolutely. I know I love it so Tina, I think these are those are you could do. Oh, well, these are fantastic. As I always tell you, this is one of my favorite uh, interviews that I do all year long, but happy reading over the summer. Oh, yes. And uh, kudos to you, to whoever can read all 10. Oh, there should be a prize for that. Maybe dinner with you and me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be fun. That could actually be really fun. <laughs> we're, 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 all that. we do is talk about books and eat food. I love it. I love it. Thanks, Tina. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you to Tina Ferguson, owner of Face in a Book Bookstore in El Dorado Hills, for coming on and being our guide to our books for part one and part two on the show this summer. We appreciate it. You can, if you don't live local and you can't go meet Tina in person, you can always find her on Facebook at Face in a Book, and you will be able to watch videos. She has a lot of great videos that are very similar to what she did today, where she gives her picks throughout the years and shares things that are happening in the book world. So it's a great place if you're looking for some new suggestions or you just like hearing about books, I would definitely check out her Facebook page. Next time on the Dying Desk Podcast, 200th episode, and I have my pal Edie Lambert joining me for that one. We're doing an entire show on luxury, little luxuries. We're not talking like Louis Vuitton stuff. We're talking about little things you do every day, or you could do every day, that will feel luxurious. So it's like like a little vacation in a day, <laughs> something that just raises your mood, makes you feel special or makes you feel pampered that you do for yourself that can feel super luxurious. And we are still looking for your suggestions. So if you go on to Instagram, you'll find me at runreadsip 
and you can send me your little luxury and we might share it on the show and then Edie and I will be sharing ours as well. Thanks to everybody for listening today. If you have a minute to leave a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now, we sure would appreciate it. Thank you to Brian Lau as always for editing this show and we'll see you next time for the 200th episode of the Dying Desk Podcast.